Um, and then it, it kind of became apparent um, about two or three years in that the only thing that I actually seemed good at uh, was writing. So today on the show, we have uh, Mark Manson, author, blogger, entrepreneur. Uh, he writes personal development advice that you know doesn't suck. That's a tagline on his website. Uh, and you know, I ran into him a few years ago at South by Southwest, and he and I have just kind of been in touch since. It was kind of funny because he told me to subscribe to his website, and it turns out that I already had. Uh, so welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Yeah. Much appreciated on this sunny uh, Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, thank you for making the time. I know it's kind of a, a weird, you know, point to be recording, but um, and just for anybody listening, we're recording this in the middle of the summer. It's beautiful out. Uh, you'll hear the episode in a couple months, but um, you know, we're excited to have Mark on the show. So to start, kind of describe who you are. Um, so I'm basically. Uh, Sometimes I, I, I refer to myself as like an accidental writer. Um, I never really intended to to start a career in writing when I started out. Um, I kind of got into, back in 2007, 2008, I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek and I was an impressionable 22-year-old and I was like, wow, that's great. I don't want to have to have a job. I want to be able to travel around the world. So I should start a website and sell crap on it. And um I started doing that and with modest to poor success rate for a few years. Um, and then it, it kind of became apparent um, about two or three years in that the only thing that I actually seemed good at uh, was writing. Like I, I was doing all these different things to try to market like different affiliate products and sell different types of like info products and all this stuff. Um, building websites, freelancing. And part of that back then, everybody was like, you have to start a blog. Blogging was like, it was new and it was the big rage. And, um, you know, every marketing seminar or course or whatever was like, you're an idiot if you don't have a blog. So I was like, okay, apparently I need a blog. Um, and it turned out it was, it was kind of the only thing that people actually clicked on and spent time with. And after I realized that I was like, Hmm, maybe I should, try this whole blogging thing like more seriously what kind of uh, stuff were you writing at the time um so i was doing i was involved in a few different industries i was basically but the big one at the time was uh dating and relationship advice um i figured at the time i was 25 and single and i was spending a lot of time reading dating advice and uh so i was like oh sweet you know what better way to uh you know learn more myself than to, um, you know, build some websites and try to promote different books and different products and, and stuff like that. And this was right around the time that, you know, uh, Neil Strauss's book came out. Um, I think it was called the game, uh, mm -hmm. in the pickup artist and that kind of thing. So is that, you know, like what you were writing about and how did you kind of differentiate yourself when you were in the midst of, you know, those breakout successes? Um, well, so Neil's book came out in 2005 or six, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so I was starting a few years later. So Neil's book came out and it blew up and it became kind of this huge industry. And, um, and I was reading 
a lot of those books at the time. And um, there was just like millions and millions of people out there that were like getting into the stuff or wanted to read about it or wanted to talk about it. So that was kind of my entry point. I was like, well, I can create a website and maybe promote. In the beginning, I promoted other people's stuff. Um, I did like kind of affiliate type things. Um, and then later on when it, when I started to get a little bit more traffic, a little bit more traction, um, I took a stab at kind of writing my own stuff. And actually the thing that really first took off, I self-published a, a dating advice book for men. Um, and it's actually, I, I, you asked how I differentiated myself in such a crowded space. It's, I, I did it by basically kind of going against, um, I guess what you the, you know, the prevalent paradigm at the time. I, I wrote a book where the the subtitle is uh, Attract Women with Honesty, which I think was like a revolutionary idea in 2010. Um, what, so, what a world. I know. Um, was that a yeah, conscious decision to go against the grain or was it just something that arose out of your philosophy about how to do it? Honestly, it, it was more the latter. I mean, it, it worked out and that it was kind of a... I guess it was a little contrarian, but, um, I mean, I, I got into this stuff when I initially got into it, I didn't really take it seriously. I was like, you know, like I said, I started out, you know, starting websites in a few different markets and this was the one that kind of gained traction. And so I spent more time with it. And after about a year or two, I really, really got very jaded and burnt out by just all of like the trashy stuff that was out there. Um, you know, a, a lot of it was very disrespectful towards women. A lot of it was very manipulative. Um, a lot of the guys who were like into this stuff and buying a lot of stuff were very shady people. And um, and it, I, I just I started to kind of become miserable working with it. And so I, I remember kind of having this like I'm not religious, but it was like this come to Jesus moment of like, all right, like I need to either create like a remedy for the, all this toxic shit um, or I just need to get out of this market like because I can't do this anymore. Like I don't want to be I don't want to be like a, the, the 35 year old who's like still writing blog posts about first date locations and crap like that. Like it's that sounds like a horrible, horrible life. So um, so I was like, all right, like I'm going to I'm going to write the book that I wish I had read by this time. I was 27, 28. Um, I was like, well, and I had read the game when it came out. I think I was like 21 or 22 when it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to write the book that I wish I had read when I was like 21. Do you think and, it would have had the same effect on you if you'd read it when you were 21 though? Um, maybe not, but I definitely think it would have had a better effect than the game did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, for all of our listeners, you know, you probably remember this thing, but it was shaped like an actual Bible. Um, and you, in that it, it presented itself as the Bible. Am I, am I to, thinking of the right book? It's yeah, the one, totally the yeah. Papyrus, right? Okay. I thought so. It yeah. was, it looked like a Bible and it was literally just like, you should wear something crazy at the bar. It's called peacocking. And, and yeah. then, you know, insult women to establish the fact that you don't, I don't actually remember the tenet, but I remember the name for it. They call it negging. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it's where it's where you give like a backhanded compliment, and it's that was it. Yes, it's, it's basically designed to make her feel more insecure around you. Was there and a specific moment that you remember where you were like, I just like you're out in a situation or something like that where you just realized you couldn't do it anymore? Um, it. it it was for me. It was it was kind of there was this ongoing tension. So no, there wasn't a single moment. There was an ongoing tension that built. I think over a number of years. Like the more time went on, the more the more I money I made off of the in the, like in the industry. But at the same time, the more time I spent in it, the more I felt like I needed to push back against. Like I just didn't feel good like being around a lot of this stuff. And I was like, I, I need to find a way to like push back against a lot of this stuff. It seems like what grew out of this uh, pickup artist genre for you specifically was sort of a contrarian note in that you released a book called, you know, Attract Women with Honesty, which kind of goes against the entire pickup artist genre. Um, and it seems like that's followed, that theme has followed through to your self-help or, you know, personal development style writing now. Was that, did you see a niche there or did that just come naturally for you? I hoped that there was a niche there. Um, like I said, like my, my, my dating book, for me, it was kind of like a, a swan song. It was like, all right, this is it. This is like, I'm going to put this out. And if it works, that's great. Like, hopefully it can kind of change the trajectory of that industry. And, it, and I feel one of, one of the proudest things in my short career is I feel that it really has. Um, that industry is very, very different now than it was uh, five or six years ago. What would you have uh, done if it didn't work? I I just would have quit. Um, <laughs> very seriously. honest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was to the point where it was like, I can't be involved. Like I used to go, I used to get invited to like these conferences where a bunch of these pickup guys would be. Um, like Magnolia? Yeah, yeah, like borderline that level, and yeah, it's just awful. It's like I don't want to be around these people. Like I don't want to be around this. Uh, and I think a lot of the customers, like a lot of the men who end up in that world, I think the vast majority of them are like very well intentioned, um, good guys. I just think they're very, very confused. And to me, it was like it became very apparent that it was. A kind of a case of the blind leading the blind. Like I, I, I don't think, you know, a lot of the, the pickup teachers. I think they were kind of in a similar boat. They were just very confused. Like they never, they never really learned how to like deal with their identity issues or their emotional issues or their insecurities in a healthy way. What they, they just learned a bunch of techniques and and uh, like strategies to kind of cover them up and. Um, and I, I just felt like I was like, all right, I need to write about this. I need to say this. I need to say what I think very openly. Uh, and if it works, that's great. Um, and if it doesn't, then peace out. Like, I'll go get a day job or something. <laughs> Some of the things you talk about uh, are pretty counterintuitive, though. Like, uh, one, of the, one of the things that stands out even still, and it goes without qualification, but uh, it's trust yourself less. That's one of the tenets that you talk about now which goes against the grain of most, you know, self-help people out there who mm -hmm. preach very strongly you should believe in yourself. Um can you talk about what that discovery process was like? Like how do you how do you come to conclusions like that that seem to go against what other people are saying? 
Well, I feel so if I can back up a little bit and kind of like bring kind of bridge the previous topic with this question. Um, so my dating book was successful and, and I decided that I wanted to, to blog and write about more kind of just general life issues. You know, I, I was done with the dating thing. Um, and one thing I noticed after a few years with the dating stuff is that a lot of these problems, like if you take a guy or, or a woman who their, their perception of their problem is like, Oh, I can't get a date or, Oh, people, you know, people lose interest in me, romantic interest in me after two or three months. Like their perception is that there's like a very simple kind of surface level problem. But what I started to notice after a few years is actually like pretty much all these people who had very surface level problems in their dating lives actually had some like emotional shit going on underneath. And I became far more interested in talking about that emotional stuff than, you know, just like why a guy doesn't call you back after the third date or whatever. Um, so when I kind of entered that phase of my career, I, 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 like I'm a huge book nerd and research nerd. And so I, I started researching all this stuff and getting really into psychology and, um, identity and, um, researching some of the other self-help stuff out there. But by that time I was kind of familiar with most of it. Uh, but one thing that was very eye-opening for me, the more I kind of dived into psychological research was just how flimsy uh, and just wrong our understanding of not only ourselves, but pretty much everything. Like our brains are just very, very inefficient at uh, a lot of things. And our beliefs are pretty much always wrong um, and our intuitions and biases and stuff. Um, and I just... I found it very funny that the personal development world was kind of constantly espousing this feel good of like, you know, believe in yourself, trust yourself. You're always right. Um, do, you know, follow your heart and everything else will, will work itself out. And meanwhile, like all the psychological research was saying the complete opposite. It was saying like, no, people are pretty delusional. Like they don't really have a good understanding of what's going on in their lives. Their identities are very like, you know, porous and malleable. Um, beliefs change all the time. Our memories are awful. Um, and I just found this kind of crazy. I was, I was like, hmm, all right. Well, like how would you kind of create a personal development uh, out of that's kind of based on legitimate psychological research. Cause at that point I kind of looked at all the self-help stuff and I'm like, all right, this is just a bunch of like feel good masturbatory, you know, like let's sell a $10,000 seminar and have everybody hug and scream and tell, tell themselves that they're wonderful snowflakes. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't really interested to me, at least it, it wasn't really interested in like a serious look at like, identity or personal problems mm -hmm. or emotional problems. It was, it was mostly just kind of feel good fluff. So I kind of, my mission kind of became a few years ago, like, how do I take this, this psychological research that says all this other stuff and kind of create a, uh, a self-development framework that's based on reality. It's based on, uh, academic research. It's not just based on like me trying to fill a seminar room. Yeah. And I mean, I think that definitely comes across, uh, 
I'm not somebody who I would say reads self-help or personal development or anything, but when I you know came across your work, it, it really did resonate with me because there's just so much in there that um, I think can be applied to you know pretty much anyone. It's all like super universal and it's all problems that we've all grappled with. Uh, I was actually hoping that you could talk in like a very broad way about some of your ideas on uh, some of these topics. Um, you know, I, I would give you a topic and you just go for a couple minutes um, just so that our listeners can kind of like hear your unique outlook on a few of these things. Well, maybe you could talk to us about one of those foundational concepts uh, that you started to find when you first got into the research that solidified that you were on the right path. One of the big, I mean, and I'll plug a few books here as well that, that were kind of pivotal in my own thinking. Um, one of the big turning points for me, there's a great book out there by uh, a Harvard psychologist named Dan Gilbert. The book is called Stumbling on Happiness. And um, the the book is just, it's amazing. I mean, it it's funny. I think people have different reactions to it because it, sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable to hear these things. But um, to me, it's, it's just, it's so important to understand some of these conclusions. But basically what the book says and what he shows, like he's been spending decades researching this, but he basically shows that like, we really have no idea what makes us happy. Like it's like he, it, it, case after case after case, like he takes people and he, he asks them, you know, what do you think will make you really, really happy over the next month or whatever? And, you know, they'll say X, Y, or Z. And then he'll track those people and see actually if those things happen, if they don't. And what, and it's just people's predictions of their own happiness is just so completely off the mark time and time again. And it also works in reverse. So people's memories of their own happiness. What he found is that people, people if you surveyed people when something really bad happened uh, and asked them how they felt about it, they would say they felt horrible about it. And then if you ask them, how do you think you'll feel about this in a year? They would also say, I'm going to feel horrible about it. But it turned out a year later, if you ask those same people, how did you feel about this happening? A lot of them were like, oh, no, it was fine. It was great. Actually, I had a pretty good time. You know, like they just we don't remember our emotions at all. And for me, this was a big eye opener because so much of personal development and so, so much of like what what draws people to personal development is that people that they're not happy and they want to be happy. And so they go and they look for a book uh, or a website or a blog or a seminar or whatever to kind of like, all right, I'll pay my money or I'll read this article or I'll read this book and then I'll be happy. It'll tell me how to be happy. And uh, Dan Gilbert's book is just like, it was so mind blowing for me because it's like, he basically said like, this doesn't work. Like even if you thought, even if you knew what was going to make you happy, it probably wouldn't. Uh, and so that just kind of forced me to have this, it, it forces you to just step back and completely reanalyze, um, you know, the entire, I guess, genre or like <laughs> philosophy behind of like, what, what would personal development actually be if you didn't know what made you happy? Um, and the conclusion I came to, and, and I, this is largely what my new book is, is about, um, is that growth isn't about happiness growth is about problems it's about solving problems and it's about having better problems um and that that to me was just like it changed everything 
in my opinion. So you actually have courses and memberships and uh, you know books and articles on your website that are kind of espousing you know your own version of how to do this. So do you think that? Um, I mean, do you think your approach is is any different from any of the other folks that are doing this? Um. Well, yeah, I I think it's. I mean, your philosophy is, but sure. But I mean, like your actual approach, you know, because this is ultimately a business for you. Right. Um, my approach is different because, and sometimes I get a lot of complaints about this, but I don't really believe in the, you know, Joe Blow comes to me, pays me 10 bucks and I say, hey, Joe, go, go do this and your life will be better. Um, I don't really believe that works. What I try to do instead is I try to simply explain what worked for me mm-hmm. um, and help and give, and that's what I do primarily through my writing, my blog, and my books. What I do with the courses is what I try to do, and again, some people end up getting really disappointed by this because a lot of people want you to tell them do this. Like they get very upset if, if you don't do that for them. But in my mind, that's part of the problem. And I think a lot of self-help reinforces the problem. You basically have these people who have never actually like taken responsibility and made decisions for themselves in their lives. And they're upset and they don't know why. So they go looking for somebody to take responsibility and make decisions for them. And um, what I try to do with my courses is I try to simply provide a framework um, where people can kind of discover these things for themselves. So... Um, for instance, my course on anxiety, like it's, I'm very clear in the beginning when I say like, this is not going to solve your anxiety. Like what I'm going to give you here is not like do these six steps and you know, you'll never be afraid again. What I, what I, what I do there is I simply provide a framework and the tools that the people can go through themselves and apply to their own lives and their own issues. Because my, my belief is that nobody can really solve anybody else's problems for them. Like we all need to solve our problems ourselves. Um, the really, the only thing I can do if I'm going to exist in this industry that's of any use is just point people in the right direction or simply share what worked for me. What do you prioritize in your writing? Because you've told me in the past that you actually will go back to an article and, you know, uh, fix pieces that didn't really perform as well as you thought they would edit articles halfway through uh, if people are kind of getting stuck at one point um, because you have the analytics to actually see all of that. Right. Um, my philosophy on that, I mean, I know there's kind of the blo- the classic blogging ethos is, um, you know, that you, whatever you wrote, you know, in the middle of 2008 or whatever is like, that's sacred and you leave it there forever. Um, I've never really followed that for a few reasons. One is just like the medium allows you to constantly like analyze what's working and not working in a specific article. Um, So why wouldn't you fix it and change it? You know, it's like if you see if it's really clear looking at the analytics that like an intro is bad um, or if like you get a citation wrong or something like that, like why wouldn't you go fix it? And like it would be one thing if I was like a New York Times reporter or, 
you know, writing and politics, you know, like if I had a, if I had a big piece that was like pro Trump from five years ago and then like today I went back and, and deleted it, like I agree, like that's not cool. Um, like there, you should be in certain arenas, you should be held accountable for your previous opinions and statements. Um, to me in self-help and personal development, that actually becomes kind of a liability. So it's like if I gave a bad piece of advice, it's like let's say I wrote something in 2011 mm-hmm. and today in 2016 there's a bunch of new research out and I have a bunch like of experience and I look at that piece of advice and I'm like, wow, that's a bad piece of advice. I shouldn't have that. But but do you go back and actually like mark the fact that you updated it? Uh no. Yeah, and I didn't think you did. Yeah. Um well, and a lot of times I just delete it. I would say for every article on the site, I've probably deleted one. Um, and really? it's just be, it's just because it's it's like it's bad advice, and I don't stand by it anymore, so I don't want it on the site. How far uh, do you allow yourself to go when you just edit? Um, really small rewrites. Um, usually, it's just like fixing words, like fixing. And and a lot of times it comes from like reader emails. So like readers will read something I wrote a few years ago and they'll say like, you know, like for instance, I had an article, a dating article that, uh, from like 2012 or something. And a way, the way I wrote a specific example, it sounded kind of bad for women. Like it it sounded kind of bad, like in terms of like consent issues with women. Um, which you know in 2012 like th- that no like it wasn't we 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 weren't as aware of that sort of stuff yeah i mean it, was, it wasn't you know part of the general yeah, conversation it, right and it so it was just a simple you know i i wasn't as familiar with the issues back then and so i wrote it in a certain way and 4 years later it kind of like it looks bad and it sounds bad and so a number of female readers emailed me about it and i'm like okay yeah that needs to be fixed so i went back and rewrote that example mm-hmm. um, to make it more clear. I've thought about like noting if things are changed or when things are changed, but like I said, it's like if I gave a really bad piece of advice and then I fix it, like I don't want people to become curious of what the bad advice was. You know, well, like, so this is this is kind of like you know representative of your writing as a whole because you, it's so logical what you're saying right now. But it also mm-hmm. just goes against everything that, you know, we know. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just super unique and, and new. And I think I, the, the, the part that drives it home for me is that it is based on studies that are coming out of psychology journals and publications that are actually peer-reviewed and things like that. No, I mean, That's, you're, 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 yeah. you're totally right. It's just like what always catches me is, you know, the reason that, that you know, uh, that process exists in newspapers and magazines is because you know at certain points people need to be held accountable or and i don't know if that fits here but you know i can see situations where it does right and like i said like if i was writing about politics or current events Mm -hmm. um i would absolutely i would feel very strongly that like i should note if my opinion changes um no in, in in these cases you know when when you have something like you know, dealing with a breakup, for instance, you know, my, my view of like how to deal with a breakup is probably a little bit different now than it was say like five or six years ago. Um, so, 
and it's probably more mature and more informed now um, because I've dealt with so many more people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do I need to note that my opinion changed uh, or is it just better to give people the better advice? You know, and I decided on the latter. Yeah. And I, I mean, I respect the hell out of that, but you know, there are a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do that too. Yeah. I, I and I, I understand it makes a lot of people squeamish. Um, and I realize that it's not typical. Yeah. Um, which I mean, hey, I, I'm not knocking it. I, I that's one of the reasons why it's just something you told me that months ago, and that's just yeah. something that like really, really stuck with me, and I've been trying to figure it out. You know, Kyle and actually, Kyle and I actually uploaded the wrong version of one of our previous episodes, and it was up for like a month, and then we just swapped it out, and uh, and even that, I've kind of just been like, should we make like a notation about the fact that that happened, or, yeah. um, and I mean, it like I think the only difference was like we forgot like our intro music or something um and it was just simply a mistake but yeah i have i have made small notes on probably three or four occasions Mm -hmm. um uh, about my opinion changing and interestingly now that i think about it like i think the only time i make a note is when it kind of involves stuff that's not self-help so like i have a big article on india on my experiences in india Mm -hmm. um and it's pretty harsh. Um, and it definitely, I went back about a year later and I just added a little note at the end saying like, my opinions have slightly changed in the following ways. Since I, I, I think this. you should write an article on this. I well, think no, that, yeah. I have a, it's like if, cause one of the things that I took away from reading, uh, I'll, you know, I, I downloaded a couple of your ebooks and read through them. And one of the things that I took away is like part of your mantra is about personal growth. And part of your job, or at least the job you feel you have, is explaining the path of growth that you went through to get to where you are now. So when you when you delete some of those old articles, why why do that instead of talking about that path of growth? Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point as well. Um, I mean, the alternative would be, so like, let's say I, I look in the archive today. Oh, we we might've just did we lose you? lost you. Uh, hey, we can uh, hear you now. You're coming. Oh, okay. There, yeah, there you go. Sorry about that. So like, let's say I, I get on the site today and I decide that there's an article from like five years ago that I'm not comfortable with for various reasons. Um, I guess my options are A, leave it and just live with it. B, uh, take it down if I think it's really bad. Or C, write a whole, like an additional thing explaining why the article is bad, I guess. Um, Which I guess that is like the optimal option. Uh, Except that would be a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I would say there's like a... There is value there, though. There was a. I feel like there's a fourth path, though, which is you talk. I mean, I don't even know if you would necessarily have to go back and write a new article. You could write, "This is part two or something like that. I would. I would just. Well, I think that there is no answer here, and yeah, there's no. I. I would solid. I. I legitimately think you should write an article about this. Yeah. I was just curious about that. That thought process that goes into uh, how you make the cuts. So. Yeah. Now, why do you think that your writing resonates with so many people? I think it, it's because it's not 
uh, for lack of a better term, I think it's not bullshitty. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, you said that, Jeff, that you don't like self-help stuff, but you you ended up reading a lot of my stuff. And, yeah. and I get I hear that all the time mm-hmm. uh, from people like I I even joke some I think it's on the front of my website. It's it's like it's self-help for people who hate self-help. Yeah. Um, some people say I'm an idiot. Other people say I saved their life. Read more and decide for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I think it appeals to a lot of people because it's not, I, I, there's not this kind of like delusionally positive approach, you know, like this, I think, I think there are a lot of people out there that get very turned off by this, like this kind of fake optimism that comes, comes out of a lot of self-development stuff of like, Oh, everything's great. Hey, you're, your cat died, but that's an opportunity for growth. You know, like it's no, it sucks. Like life sucks sometimes and it's okay to suck. It's like, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to have doubts and fears and anxieties and insecurities. Like it's very normal. It's very human. Um, and if you want to feel bad for a while, like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think that's just very refreshing for people. Like I think, I think our culture in general, like just not even just self-help, but just our culture in general. Like it, it's kind of not be, it's become not okay to feel bad have sometimes. You, have you ever had any issues that you've just had a lot of trouble, you know, trying to cope with that you haven't really been able to find, you know, um, I guess an outlet for or haven't been able to write about or anything? Um, one area that I've struggled writing about, uh, I had a lot of issues with commitment. I still have issues with commitment, but they've gotten a lot better. Um, I really struggled to write about that for a long time for a few reasons. One is just like, I kind of feel like if I have a problem and I still haven't figured it out for myself, like I don't feel really comfortable (laughs) giving any sort of like advice or anything on it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like, for instance, when it comes to, to commitment, like I'm way below average, like total idiot. You know, like I've, I've I do a lot of stupid things in that area of my life. Um, so why would I, you know, it's like I, I, I see myself as like totally unqualified to offer an opinion or advice to other people on that. Yeah. How, do, how does that manifest for you? Like, how do you qualify yourself as someone who's bad with commitment just in your general life? And I would uh, sort of expand that after you get through commitment. Like, how do you use that knowledge to deal with other problems that you see coming down the pike? Like, if not commitment, what's the next big thing you tackle? I think, so a lot of these problems, it's funny because they, they, they often become most apparent in hindsight. Um, it's very, very hard to notice your insecurities a lot of times, like as they're occurring. Um, usually it's only when you're removed from them for a few years, but when it came to commitment, I mean, one thing I talk about, uh, in my books in particular, but also my courses and my site is like, it's important to understand your own, like we all have habits of avoidance. Like we all, so all of us deal with insecurities and shame. Like it's just a fact of life. Like we all have a little bit of self-loathing, a little bit of shame going on. Just a little bit? <laughs> or in some cases a lot. Um, insecurities, et cetera. And we all have like strategies that 
you know, we've adopted to, to deal with those. Um, so some people, uh, just avoid. Some people are very confrontational and they get very angry. Uh, some people try to numb themselves with like substances or sex or whatever. Um, some people get very depressed and sad and feel powerless to do anything. Um, and I think our strategies, our individual strategies that we, that we use to deal with, with these areas, it, it's, it's, a, it's personal to each one of us, you know? So, you know, Jeff's habit or strategy might be, is probably different than yours, Kyle, and yours is probably different than mine and so on. And so what I try to teach is that the most important part is learning what your own habits and strategies are. So one of the big things I learned dealing with a lot of my insecurities around commitment and intimacy uh, over the last 10 years is that I have a very, my form of avoidance, my form of like getting away from those icky feelings of shame is uh, usually apathy um, or like distraction. Like I just convince myself like, like I, in my early twenties, I would often find myself, I would like, I would meet this, this girl, things would go great. I'd be having so much fun with her, start feeling really close to her. And then, you know, say about a month or two in when things start to like really kind of that, that like really deep intimacy starts to occur and you know, the, the big L word might come out. Um, all of a sudden I would like literally wake up one day and I'm like, Oh, this girl's boring. I didn't have no interest in her whatsoever. And when that happens one time, you can kind of convince yourself like, Oh, it's, well, it's just that it's just her. Like she's the problem. But like when that happens like six times in a row, you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm the problem now. Like <laughs> there's this a pattern is, there. Yeah. This is my pattern. This is my strategy. I'm running away from something. Uh, but it takes a long time to figure that out. And it's very, uh, it's very uncomfortable. And, and again, coming back to like the the way my courses are, like the reason I don't do seminars, like, uh, like the, to me, the worst thing in the world is like a weekend seminar that's going to change your life. Like that sounds like the stupidest proposition. Um, because these things like just that, that example I just described, like that took like multiple years for me to kind of like, cause then it's like, once I realized I was the problem, well then I, just denied it and pretended like that wasn't true. But then I, it's after another year of realizing I can't really deny it anymore. Like then I have to accept it. Well, now I'm depressed. And so six months of like being depressed about it goes by and then it's like, okay, now I'm ready to do something. Now it's like three years into this problem, um, of being aware of this problem. You know, now I'm finally aware, like able to like start trying to do something different. And th these, dealing with these sorts of things, it's a multi-year process. But I think in, you know, today's, in our culture today, which is so driven by, you know, just the quick fix and the magic pill and everything, like people don't like hearing that. People don't like hearing like, like, oh, hey, your, your fear of intimacy is going to probably take the better part of a decade, but let's get started. You know, like that's not a good selling point. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody's like whipping out their wallet. Like, Oh sweet. Eight years of therapy. Can't wait. You know? I mean, so, so hang on one second. Uh, since this is a podcast about writing, um, what is your experience about writing about these situations where you very clearly, you know, been hurt and hurt other people and writing about them so personally with this aha moment years later, you know, 
have old flames come back to you and said like why couldn't you have figured this out years ago <laughs> um no um i mean i i've had some people in my past you know comment like it, it's been, it's been clear that some of them have been appreciative of it i mean one thing to remember is that problems like the like there's always two sides so um you know like one thing i like to tell people is that if if everybody you date is a total psycho it means you're a total psycho like it's it's not just uh people don't just randomly uh, attract a psycho person like it's you have to be a psycho to attract a psycho person so i think in a lot of these situations some past partners of mine and, and ex-girlfriends and uh, past friendships like i've burned some bridges mm -hmm. that you know i kind of regret um you know they had their own stuff to work through as well and um and they they've kind of gone through their process as well so it's not so much of like a you know why couldn't you figure this out five years ago it's kind of like oh yeah we were both idiots and that's, uh <laughs> that's so I, interesting to hear yeah and, and actually super helpful for i'm sure a lot of our listeners and for me yeah. So, not to talk about my own issues. No, yeah. no it's, it's. I mean, it, that's that's one of the biggest things that we keep coming back to is that so many people are afraid to write about things that have to do with their own personal past. Well, it's like yeah. it, I feel like it comes back a little bit to that that discussion about responsibility, and that's something that you get into as well, Mark. Is just taking responsibility for in 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 particular in Jeff's writing, it's about taking responsibility for the way that you dealt with people in the past and that coming out publicly when you write, you know, when you publish the article about it. Um, and Mark, I'd like to ask you how that responsibility. So when people buy a course, when they subscribe, when they purchase the content, what that responsibility looks like, especially because you're, you're talking about things that do probably take eight, 10 years of therapy to fix. Do you have people coming back to you after all that time and saying, Hey, you, this did actually help. This is, this was the turning point for me. Yeah, all the time. And um, I mean, I, I do get people saying that. It's funny. I, I try not to take that sort of stuff too seriously. Like I, I just see myself as one single factor, hopefully a positive factor um, among many of whatever problem a person's going through. So yeah, a lot of times I do get emails and people say like, I read this article or I read your book and it completely changed my life. And I'm like having all these amazing things. And, uh, I always try to respond to that. Obviously I'm super appreciative. It's, it's amazing to hear that, but I always try to respond and say like, Hey, that's great to hear. Thank you. Um, but remember that like you did a lot of this, like, this is you, you changed. Um, you know, maybe I was like a strong gust of wind that pushed you in a certain direction, but like, you're the one who actually like got off, off your ass and went and did it. And there's probably tons and tons of things going on in the person's life that like, they're not just consciously aware of, like, like a lot of times people just pick the thing that is most obvious in their mind, um, and give that credit when really there's probably like five, 10, 20 things going on in their life that like all kind of contribute, um, to something changing. Uh, have you dealt with problems around responsibility when it comes to the people who take your courses? Yes. Um, like I said, I get a lot of people who really, really just want me to tell them what to do. 
And um, and this is this is I've never felt comfortable doing that. And this is an issue I, I ran up against pretty early on with the dating stuff. So like when I kind of started with the dating stuff, I I kind of just, you know, I, I did what everybody does. Like you look around at the people who are successful and you just try to do what they do. And so the first couple of years, I kind of took this approach of like, all right, I need to have answers for everything. Well, you soon learn that like people's problems are really complicated. Um, they They have like very complex lives going on. There's a lot of, you know, different factors at work. And no matter how smart you are, or how much time you spend with them, like you're pretty ignorant to most of it. And so I, I soon started feeling very uncomfortable kind of just giving like black and white uh, solutions or or even advice to people. Um, so I, I kind of started just adopting. And, and when I started, when I especially when I got more into the general personal development stuff, you know, I started getting emails from people who are suicidal, people who, uh, you know, their marriages are falling apart and they have kids and they want to know what to do. And like, that's just an, like, I am not qualified. Like, I, I don't know if anybody's qualified. Uh, I don't, I just don't want to get into that territory of being like, oh, well, you should go tell your husband this and take the kids and do that. Like, I don't, who the hell am I? Like, I don't know. I'm just a guy on the internet. So it's kind of wild, though, because, I mean, that's the territory that you belong in at this point because you've amassed this huge audience and, you know, you have this. I mean, I it, it kind of mentioned responsibility. It's it's weird um, because, you know, there is an inherent responsibility. You know, you're giving out this advice. You're never claiming to be an expert. But, um, you know, the second you open the doors to this, you have a lot of people who are desperate to find anybody to talk to about it. And, you know, maybe the act of actually just talking to them you know, helps them out. But, um, what do you do in a situation where somebody tells you that they're like considering suicide? Uh, I always point them to a suicide hotline and, uh, just plead that they, they call it, um, because those people are actually trained to deal with that. Uh, I'm not, mm -hmm. um, have you had any situations that you just, you know, not to get dark or anything, but have you had anything that you really regret? No, uh, not that I know of. I mean, I, I haven't had anybody like go off and kill themselves or, you know, like I, I've never gotten an email saying like you ruined my marriage or anything like that. Um, so if it's happened, I don't know about it. Yeah. Um, uh, Which is for the best. Yeah. Like, and, and again, like coming back to the responsibility thing, like it every, became, everybody needs to, you know, it's self-determination. Right. And, and often the problem, like one of the root problems for these people is the fact that they don't, they've spent their whole lives looking for other people to solve their pain and they've never learned to solve it themselves. And so you, you enter into this like kind of paradox of self-help where it's like the only, the best advice you can give is like tell people to figure it out on their own. So it's, it's a very weird place yeah. to exist. Well, I, I had a bunch of questions about, you know, like the platform that you've built, but I actually, you know, I want to skip that because, I mean, anybody who wants to check you out can go to the website and there's a million resources and I, I do encourage everybody to actually check it out because um, there's something for everybody and it's super interesting the way that you approach this. Uh, we have had a bunch of writers on the show that like kind of break down issues by their component pieces and put them back together in a very unique way. And I think you fit the bill on that. 
Um, but we brought you on the show to talk about, you know, a particular story that you've struggled to tell in the past. And yeah. you you sent us a few options, so I want to just, you know, put the ball in your court. But, um, you know, talk to us about that. Um, so when you guys asked me, you said, what, what is, like, the big story? What's a big story that you've struggled to tell or write about uh, in your career? Um, there was just... <laughs> there was one very obvious one that came to mind, um, and that was uh, I was cyber stalked for about four or five years. And um, when when was this? It started in two thousand nine, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay. Um, it was pretty early on in my career. It was I went to a conference and met a woman. Um, got involved with her briefly and she just kind of stuck um <laughs> and she in her mind she decided that we were supposed to start a relationship and do all these things together uh and <laughs> invited me to move across the country and start living with her um even though you know I had only been talking to her online for a few months and had met her once in person um and I obviously I thought that was completely like unreasonable. So I said no. <laughs> um, and then she just kind of went off the handle, you know, threatened to kill herself, um, threatened to start threatening me. Um, so I blocked her from everything. And then she spent about four years. I couldn't even tell you that like it stopped a year or two ago, which is why I'm, I'm fine talking about it now. Um, the other reason I'm fine talking about it now is because some of her claims against me are just like so preposterous at this point. Um, but I, I talk about her in my new book. Um, I use her as that experience as an example of, uh, I guess you could say like <laughs> a growth experience. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she actually went so far at one point. So she was sending me anywhere between uh five to 20 emails a week for about four years. Um, wow. She would, she would somehow, she would find my phone number. So I blocked her, I actually got a new phone at one point. And then what she did is she somehow, she started messaging friends of mine, like people in my life saying, claiming that she was a friend of mine and needed my phone number, my new phone number. And so people would give her. And so I had to go to all my friends and be like, this woman's crazy. Don't, Please, like, don't give her my contact info. Um, talk to lawyers, talk to police. Uh, I mean, fortunately, she was nonviolent. So, I mean, it's fortunate and unfortunate. So the, she was nonviolent, which means that my, I was never, like, threatened physically. Uh, unfortunately, because she was nonviolent, she, like, nobody could do anything. Like, I couldn't sue her. I couldn't get a restraining order. I couldn't do any of these things. Um, at one point, she literally copy and pasted the design of my website and created like basically a copy of the website and then just wrote articles about me and she hired an SEO person to rank uh, for my own name and in these articles she claimed that I was her had been her boyfriend and that I had left her and cheated on her and that I promised to marry her and like all these like just ridiculous things that were not true. And the reason I st struggled to tell this story 
is, you know, obviously people found this website and they found her. Um, I think the vast majority realized very quickly that she was like totally nuts. But I would get emails about her all the time. People were like, hey, your ex like made a website about you. And I'm like, she's not my ex. <laughs> like, she's not like, let's set the record straight. But the problem was, and, is and like, keep in mind, this is so convincing that I actually, you know, when in, in doing research for this podcast, I actually thought that it was his ex-girlfriend. Yep. Even knowing, even is. knowing the story. People think she is. Yeah. And that actually, that drives me crazy still. Um, the problem is, is I could never, I felt like I could never write about it publicly because what she wanted was attention. Like she wanted, uh, she wanted to get attention and cause controversy and cause drama and like basically just stir up my readers and make a bunch of my readers think that I was a bad guy. And, um, and she would hold this over my head. So she would email me and she was like, you know, I'll, I would tell her like, please stop writing the articles. And she would say, um, she's like, oh, well, I'll stop writing them, you know, once you come here and start a relationship with me. And I'm she just like, thought it was possible at this point. Yeah. It's just like four years later, you know? Wow. Um, and she basically she started using it as blackmail, basically. Yeah. Like she's like, I'm gonna trash you, try like I'm going to keep trashing you to your readers and saying all this awful stuff about you until you come here and like start a relationship with me. And it's just like <laughs> be my prisoner. Right. So it's the the best thing, you know, and I did talk to lawyers and and um I talked to a lawyer who was experienced with like stalking and cyber stalking, and he said the best thing you can do is just like not give her attention and um just like pretend she's not there um i ended up having to hire an seo guy to push her webpage like down in the search ranks which ultimately uh, probably helped you yeah um i mean this is it's just such an interesting world where you find yourself the subject of this crazy you know seemingly psychotic stalker who goes to extraordinary lengths and the only thing someone can do for you is tell you hey you just gotta ignore it kid She'll, yeah. she'll, she'll flame out eventually. It's awful. I mean, it took years. Um, I'm married now. My wife. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, my wife knows about her. My wife has met her. So this is the other crazy oh, thing. Oh, God. Um, she would find out, like, let's so I would get invited to a conference or something. Um, she would find out, I would, like, what conference I was speaking at. And she would go and attend it. And... Um, so that she could like corner me in the hall and like make me talk to her. Um, this is like Gone Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we're gonna get no, emails never about Gone Girl? Yeah, it's you, Gone Girl. It's Gone Girl it's without, the without without the murder. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, you, do you think she's gonna email us about this episode? I don't know. So there are a couple reasons I'm I'm fine talking about it now. Uh, one is that so the other reason I I never wanted to talk about it is that she has some like pretty kind of insane uh political agendas so so for instance if you go like her website which talks about me she has like an article where she can compares eating meat to the holocaust um and i think she went on this whole thing uh, about like monogamy and how it's like slave slavery comparing it to slavery it's not like just these really really extreme kind of like radical beliefs um, that you would expect from the sort of person who would do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for her, part of the motivation as well was like, 
you know, I have a huge platform and lots of readers. So if she can kind of harass me and siphon off attention from my platform for her own platform. Um, so like she would, she has long, she wrote like long things where like she would write about, you know, being vegan or whatever uh, and how like killing animals is horrible and, you know, everybody's like deplorable human beings. And then like you get like halfway into this article about these like this like crazy radical pro vegan article and you get halfway through where she's like telling everybody that they're horrible immoral people and then she'd be like like my ex Mark Manson <laughs> and then, then, then there would be like four paragraphs about me and it's just it was it's just bizarre this but, is uh, the weirdest website I think I've ever seen <laughs> I just pull I'm not gonna lie I just pulled it up it's still there on the Google searches it's yeah oh my god well so it's interesting though because this is something that you know, it's not that you struggle to tell; it's that you like couldn't talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah, like you're you're actually restrained from talking. That about that, it. that might be the first time that we've uh, we've had that on the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I wanted to talk. I desperately like people. So when people people would email me about it, they'd be like, "Hey, I found this woman's website. Like, what the hell?" And then I, I would tell them everything. I mean, not everything, but like I would I would give them like a pretty well-written response explaining uh, the situation. And I desperately wanted to do it because I'm like, for every person that emails me, there's probably like 300 people who see it and think the same thing, but they don't, you know, they don't email me. So, but the thing is, is that's what she always wanted. She always wanted me to come out publicly for it so that, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people would have to, to hear about her. Um, and then, uh, and then that would draw the attention, you know, to her. Yeah, it would it would accomplish everything that she wanted in the first place. Basically, yeah. So it, I couldn't I couldn't give into that. Is there like, I mean, I hate to try and put a positive spin on this, but is there something that you took away from this experience that has actually helped you in the long run, or has it just been primarily negative? Um. <laughs> right, like did did anything good come out of this at least? Well, I could tell you one thing. I mean, it doesn't really matter now because I'm married. But like, I, I tell you one thing, man. It I, after a couple of years of this, I was like, wow, I am totally gonna be careful who I sleep with. <laughs> <laughs> the power. Like, this is not worth it. Oh my god. Also, it must have felt a little bit good, you know, knowing that you know she liked you that much. Uh, no, no I, I don't imagine that that would. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'll go ahead and answer that one for you, Mark. I, I don't imagine that was a good feeling. <laughs> I mean, it, it, in a very abstract way, for maybe like a single, like two or three seconds at a time, it's kind of like, wow, I, I have a stalker. Like, yeah. that, that's that's kind of crazy. I've plateaued uh, in life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but like, it, yeah, all the negative, like, is, it, it was awful. I mean, the only other thing I can think of that could possibly have come from this was um, I do feel like it taught me quite a bit of emotional resilience. And um, I mean, it, it it really like there were things she wrote or sometimes she would send me emails and threaten, you know, she there were times like she would she like she would threaten like come like I would be speaking somewhere and she's like, I'm going to come and I'm going to like. 
I'm going to show up and I'm going to like stand up and announce to everybody like that you're a liar and that everything you're saying is a lie. And I'm like, oh this is my career, man. Like this is, <laughs> this yeah. is like the, this shit like really, it kept me up at night sometimes. And, um, you know, cause what do you do? You can't do anything. So, Spe uh, speaking of your career, uh, you mentioned it a couple times, but you want to give us like the elevator pitch for your new book, The Subtle yes. Art of Not Giving a Fuck from HarperCollins in September? Yes. So Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is coming out uh, September 13th, and it might already be out, depending when you guys air this. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, it is it is kind of like that almost negative reality-based style of self-help uh, that that I, I've been talking about this episode. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that when I wrote my dating book, I wrote, I consciously decided like, what is the book I wish my 21 year old self had read? And what I really tried to go for with this book um, is like, you know, if there was one self-help book that I wish I read when I was younger, um, what what do I wish it had said? And um, And a lot of this, a lot of this kind of like contrarian point of view stuff is in there, um, you know, about like embracing uncertainty, ambiguity, um, becoming comfortable with failure, learning to deal with problems, not chasing happiness all the time. And, and I, I had read a, an early draft of this and uh, it's powerful. You know, it's definitely something that uh, I would recommend to quite a few people. Um, so definitely check it out. You know, it should be on shelves by the time this episode airs. You can get it on Amazon, any book retailer, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, uh, you name it. Well, um, I would imagine the story, the part of the story that's about her has been written and rewritten like a thousand times now because you've been unable to tell it for so long. It's <laughs> probably fantastic. Honestly, yeah, it's um, the, the part that's in the book is just absolutely bizarre. Uh, I, I almost don't even want to give it away, but it's it's the the part that that's in the book is or the the example I use in the book about her is uh, it's about one of the times that she came and like physically found me. In this case, she flew to another country and found me. Wow. Um, <laughs> and my and I was with my wife, so like, and she found me, and she's like, she's like, Mark, we need to talk about our relationship, and I'm like, uh. Like, dude, that's, fiance, fiance, right here. That's and she's terrifying. Like, and she like, and she looked at my fiance, and she's like, "Oh, she can come too. She can talk with oh us." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> she's like completely serious. So, that's in the book. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, where can our readers find you online? Uh, or, I'm Mark, sorry, our list. Where? So let me let me redo that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Mark, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, MarkManson.net. Okay. And the, uh, your new book will be on shelves. Twitter? Yeah. Uh, Twitter slash I am Mark Manson. And then on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash Mark Manson net. Snapchat, Instagram? <laughs> uh, we'll just go right down the line. I've got an Instagram. I, don't, I never update it, though. <laughs> so I'm lazy. All right. Well, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, guys. This week, we'd like to thank Mark Manson for joining us on the podcast to talk more about his writing. Uh, as always, the music you hear at the top and the bottom is Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Public Library. You can check him out at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter 
And as Jeff would say, wherever else social media is sold. Subscribe on iTunes and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating. We'll see you next week.